Welcome back to Radicalize Me, the show where we learn how to do activism from the best in the business. Of course, it's not really a business. Uh, not for most of us. Uh, I do it for the love of the game. Although it's, it's not a game either. Not a robot. Not a girl. But whatever it is, we're here to learn about it. And today's show is a doozy. On this episode, we'll tell a modern tale of daring activism involving protest, police, tear gas, and courts. My old friend Betty Smithsonian is on the show to talk about her experience getting involved in activism over the course of the pandemic. We actually first talked back in June, right after the inciting incident of this story happened, but I couldn't release it then because of ongoing legal proceedings, y'all. So I sat on it until I was at liberty to reveal the information publicly. Then we did a follow-up interview recently to check in about what has happened in the past few months. So first you'll hear that recent talk, then the original from June. So it's a little bit of a longer episode, but I thought it was a cool uh, cool story to see all the way uh, through. Now before we get to that, I want to talk to you about something. Something big happened recently, and I, I just have to say this. The fine people at the Merriam-Webster Dictionary have officially added the word irregardless to said dictionary. If you're not aware, irregardless is something people say when they mean regardless, but, you know, some wires get crossed and they inadvertently throw that ear prefix on at the beginning of the word. Now, English is a living language, and obviously new words and definitions get added all the time, so that doesn't bother me at all. What gets to me is that irregardless could definitely be a word, but if we examine it for a second, shouldn't irregardless mean not regardless? <laughs> that prefix ear means not, and regardless means not regarding. So not not regarding should, should mean <laughs> regarding, right? <laughs> but again, I don't really care about this. Uh, this is just... You know, my, I'm working on my stand-up act here in 1994. There is value in the dictionary codifying popular usage in this way. Um, but at the same time, this act underlines the arbitrary nature of language standards and of English in particular. You know, never mind that English is an insanely confusing language, and I can't imagine learning it as a second language. Uh, I'm struggling with Spanish, and that language m makes a lot more sense. But the imposed academic standards of language many of us had beaten into us growing up are in many ways tools of oppression against poor and non-white people. This was a hard pill for me to swallow when someone first posed it to me a few years ago. Uh, because honestly, grammar was one of the things I excelled at in school. <laughs> uh, you know, there weren't, weren't many. Um, I wasn't a terrible student, at, at least like in, in uh, middle school, high school. But uh, yeah, I was good at grammar. Um, my writing skills depended on the assignment, um, but I knew how to construct a fucking sentence. Grammar was actually so innate for me that I had a hard time when I took a grammar class in college because uh, I couldn't square all the terminology with the actual practice of writing. <laughs> I got a C. Um, I could do all of it, but when they were like, so this is actually called a synecdoche, and, and the nominalization of verbs reduces the impact of the subject to the object, or whatever the fuck. <laughs> I was like, what are you talking about? It's like, um, 
you know, I'm sort of the opposite with music where, um, you know, I, I, I learned music very, uh, uh, technically very, very, um, by the book because I, I grew up learning classical music. Um, so that's my understanding of music. It's very much tied to written music. Um, I, I can improvise, but I, I'm not great at it. Um, I never did jazz or, or, or that kind of stuff. It's, it's sort of the opposite of that because some people do learn music very, um, uh, functionally, just uh, by ear, by feel, um, and that and that whole thing. And then when they are finally confronted with um, written music, they're like, "What? Why? <laughs> Why would I look at this massively complicated thing? Um, Why do you have to write it this way?" And it's so it is good to look at it and recognize the uh, the arbitrary nature of, of the, the standards. So as I was writing the script for this monologue, I did a quick Google search to find some kind of justification for for what I'm saying here. And I've decided I'm, I'm now a white mainstream English abolitionist. Uh, and I didn't make this shit up. For, I, I found this July 2020 statement from a subcommittee of the Conference on College Composition and Communication. <laughs> it's a lot of C's. What is this, my transcript? Uh, it's known as the 2020 CCCC Special Committee on Composing a CCCC Statement on Anti-Black Racism and Black Linguistic Justice, or Why We Can't Breathe. <laughs> I love that. I love that. Uh, the statement is titled, This Ain't Another Statement. This is a demand for black linguistic justice. And here is a list of their demands. We demand... That one, teachers stop using academic language and standard English as the accepted communicative norm, which reflects white mainstream English. And I just, I just want to mention here that every sentence um, and title of, of everything has an exclamation point at the end of it. <laughs> so that's fun. Two, teachers stop teaching black students to code switch. Uh, instead, we must teach black students about anti-black linguistic racism and white linguistic supremacy. So code switch, I believe, is when, um, uh, you know, the, uh, let's say, you know, in, in this example, black students are, are, are uh, kind of have to learn to, to put on a certain face in school, in, at work, or, or whatever it is um, that is different from how they actually talk with their family, with their friends, with their community. So they got to switch every time. Three, political discussions and praxis center black language as teacher, researcher, activism for classrooms and communities. Four, teachers develop and teach black linguistic consciousness that works to decolonize the mind and or language, unlearn white supremacy, and unravel anti-black linguistic racism. Five, Black dispositions are centered in the research and teaching of black language. You might think that this all sounds like a lot to ask for at first. I know that's what the Ben Shapiro's of the world think, because his dumb website is one of the many right-wing rags I found engaging in moral panic over this announcement. But you, dear listener, are better than that. So let's think about it for a second. 
African American Vernacular English, or AAVE, is a legitimate dialect of English, and educators' refusal to acknowledge that legitimacy means they will continue to deny education to black and other uh, POC people who have as much right to it as the rest of us. I don't know if it's possible to make education like a, a perfect mix of, of all cultures represented in the U.S. population, but maybe it is, and we can certainly do a better job. When schools make this one standard based on white elitism, that's that's who created it. You know, that's not like... <laughs> I'm not like trying to, you know, dig at anyone who's around now. This is like you go back in time, it was fucking white elites, literally. But when they make this one standard based on white elitism, it's reminiscent of residential schools where indigenous people of the Americas were forced to assimilate into colonial culture. Now, a couple of things about what I just said. First off, I'm not trying to compare the plight of black Americans and indigenous Americans. I know these are very different groups who both were and continue to be horribly mistreated by this country, but in very different ways. I'm just talking about this one little parallel in the example of schooling. Uh, Second, I said indigenous because I feel like that's the most descriptive and least offensive catch-all term for the, uh, the people who lived in the Americas before my people. The whites. I am of the generation that grew up learning to say Native American because Indian or American Indian is based on a bit of a, a garbled history. And uh, it's confusing because India exists. And uh, it also it doesn't really describe these folks accurately. Um, Native American at least has native in it. So that seems like a step up. But I have seen seen some natives write that they actually prefer the term Indian because it's apparently based on uh, the Spanish calling them ni- niños and dios or people of God. I don't know if that's true. That seems like a weirdly nice thing to call people right before you genocide them. But I also don't think this term is universally preferred among all tribes. It would be nice if we could just refer to them by their individual tribe names, but... Uh, Because the U.S. has treated them as a monolith historically, it is nonetheless necessary to have a catch-all shorthand. The irony of calling it a shorthand when I've gone off on a complete tangent here is not lost on me. But I believe we're in a very transitional and transformational period of history right now. And it feels worth the trouble to acknowledge this stuff and have the conversation. But it's necessary to have a shorthand, much in the way black and white are not real groups of humans, you know, there's plenty of variety within each one, and they're very reductive, but we need those terms to discuss the history around them and the damage they've done. Anyway, to get back to the point, let's stop trying to force everyone into a white box. Accepting people and accepting different cultures means accepting them, not allowing them to hang around as long as they adhere to a strict set of rules that might not work for everyone. There are some people out there who will tell you that uh, we, we can't have that kind of acceptance, that multiculturalism doesn't work. So if you live in the U.S., you have to assimilate to the hegemonic standards. You will be assimilated. Resistance is futile. This is bullshit. 
The only major problems we've had around multi multiculturalism, as far as I can tell, are the fault of the racist right-wing lunatics who will tell you this garbage. These are people who aren't happy unless their cultural expectations are supreme above all others. Make no mistake, they are white supremacists. And I'm not saying that all white supremacy resides on the, the right. Democratic and Republican parties are white supremacists at their core. Yeah, feel it, get used to it, they are. This is a country literally founded on white supremacy, and we're not the only one. Plenty of countries have a racist past and present, but ours split from England partially to keep our African slaves, and we stole this entire continent from, from its uh, inhabitants. It's in the DNA of this country, and any institution that does not acknowledge and actively fight to correct that wrong is actively or passively perpetuating white supremacy. However, the right is where hate finds a home these days. I don't care what they say. The hate groups support Republicans, and that's the way it is. When someone tells you multiculturalism is to blame for society's ills, that's an ancient, traditional right-wing tactic trying to get you to associate our country's problems with outsiders who aren't supposed to be here. So join me and the Conference on College Composition and Communication in becoming a white mainstream English abolitionist. Let's talk to Betty. There's a, at 911, there is the ability now in Philadelphia, instead of sending a cop out to send a, a psychological counselor, uh, you know, an EMT, a firefighter, a like there's just another layer between the dispatcher and the cops. Yeah. Which feels like, oh, great, that's progress. But also like that you should have done that a thousand years ago. <laughs> yeah, that seems pretty basic. <laughs> it feels like the basics. Like <laughs> we decided to get a Google account for the police department. <laughs> like, OK, cool. Right. So. A lot of the reforms and a lot of the things, you know, never using tear gas again, which, again, the next fucking mayor could come in and change all that shit. Right. But, um, anyway, it it looks really positive. It's like it really does look like things could get really shifted here. Yeah. I think it's pretty cool that, like, that's how you can actually get some changes you know, su suing the city and they're like kind of back is up against the wall a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah. I think that a lot of, uh, a lot of these kinds of changes come through, uh, courts. Um, yeah. but yeah, so if it, so with the, um, settlement, like if it was a settlement, would it just be like a, a payout or would it be like, they might agree to some of those things. And if you're all cool with it, yeah, it'll be, it'll be a combination. Okay. There will be people that have significant injury that need right. actual payments to deal and handle their... There's a lot of people that will, will forego any settlement of money and donate the money to... Like, probably as a group, people will opt to take any money received and, to, and set up a fund specifically right. for whatever else. So I think ideally the people that need the money are going to get it. Yeah. And it will be a good amount for them. But anyone else who didn't, who, you know, people like us, I mean, it's, we're not talking about anything serious money wise. Yeah. So, and it's our money, it's taxpayer money. So it would just, we would likely set up something that kind of routes the money back to 
you know, some organization that's working in this world in this way. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, so what about the, the people at 52nd street? Cause that, I was interested in that cause that's literally like a block away from where I lived. <laughs> the last place I lived in Philly. Right. <laughs> we're on 57th and, um, Christian. Yeah. So we're, we're, I, I mean, a little while away. I mean, not right down the street, but the thing that happened with them, I haven't looked into the policies to the, the specifics here, but you know, you had, um, cops throwing tear gas down empty streets. I mean, mm. that was the thing, right? It was like they were tear gassing on 52nd street, but then in an attempt to what they thought was strategically reduce the chance of more people coming out of their house. Right. They threw tear gas down streets that where nobody was doing anything. Yeah. To just keep them in their house. But tear gas goes through windows. It was a fucking summer right. like And people tried to come outside, right? Because their house was filled with tear gas. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's weird that you know, we don't learn shit, man. I mean, the whole move bombing was the same thing. It was like, how do we suffocate these people in their fucking homes? And, um, you know, I don't know. I think I'm just disappointed at, you know, there's, a, there's just like transformative justice and kind of reimagining what policing looks like in the United States is going to take it's going to take a critical mass and it's going to include lawsuits like this but I, I think it's got to get worse I think it's got to get worse you know yeah I think you, you have to see you know just um yeah I just think you need to I, I don't want it to go away right you know lawsuits can make things go away Mm -hmm. quiets things down it lets people think okay at least we're getting some justice right and sometimes that's a false you know narrative yeah um what else have you been up to in this area besides the case yeah so lisa and i have kind of put our hearts and heads and minds into doing some social justice and anti-racism work um both educating ourselves we're in a, a a white caucus group with kind of we went through the me and white supremacy book and then now are meeting on a monthly basis with a bunch of faith individuals involved in faith and from all different backgrounds of career to to kind of slow and steady start to implement the kinds of changes in the structures that we operate in to help reduce and destroy and dismantle white supremacy. So yeah. kind of really investigating that stuff. It, it's felt less like we're out in the streets protesting and it's more like, you know, I'm my hiring practices of my consulting firm has changed. My uh, Lisa works on the DNI committee and she's, you know, getting the kinds of, um, policy structural policy and to a you know a, a multi-million dollar business that it's required now to have multiple people of color at the final stage of hiring any executive like that is now an instituted policy in the final stage of any executive hiring um plan 
there needs to be people of color at the last stage. So, I mean, it's like, you know, there's that and just kind of more representation. And, and, and then there's things like reviewing our, you know, reviewing our communication policy and how we um, talk about these things. And I mean, there's just, yeah, I think we're, I think we're trying to do more of the like admin work in a way. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we've been making calls and texting and phone banking and door knocking for local, for Reclaim. We're parts of Reclaim here. And, um, you know, we've also made it a point in our relationship to move some money into Black-owned banks and to use um, vendors, change the way that we buy things both for our personal and for our business kind of stuff and use as much as possible black owned businesses to include that in contracts and policies that we are performing for me as a performer i'm not doing shows that don't have black people on the show and i'm fucking calling out when that that's not a thing and i'm yeah i'm just making little tiny changes like that so i guess that's what i've been up to what have you been up to (laughs) oh well um, mostly I'm, uh, I'm doing the show. Um, yeah. I, uh, made the terrible decision to start doing it weekly. Um, yeah, that's terrible. <laughs> terrible. So, that just made me a whole lot busier, but, uh, I yeah. think, uh, you know, pe- more people see it that way. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm trying to, um, take some, take some action cause I don't, you know, Good. I started the show cause I really didn't know what to do. And yeah. so then after a few months, I was like, all right, there's got to be something now that I've learned. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, what I've been doing is uh, working with a mutual aid group here. Um, so I just do, I like deliver groceries, you know, once every week or two. Love um, it. Yeah, it's great. It's like, that. that's exactly the stuff that, that um, you know, there's like institutional changes, like the stuff you're doing. And then there's also like just on the ground shit where it's like, mm-hmm. all right, <laughs> the, the institutions are clearly like, you know, leaving gaps here. So let's f- fill some of that stuff. Yeah, we absolutely. I think there's a, um, yeah, there's a lot of, um, I mean, yeah, there's a lot of stuff that I'm realizing this country is so great because there's a lot of things that you can do. There isn't yeah. just one system controlling all of the stuff. It's fucking frustrating. Cause you're like, wait, I need to get <laughs> these folks are shut in and they need groceries and I can't just bring them groceries. I have to go fill out a form to fucking drive my car. And cause it's the district and there's the line of the district. I can't go over there. I can only go over here. But then in other ways, there's, you know, the possibility to make so much like local change happen because there isn't some, you know, it's not a dictatorship. You right. know, we have, there are lots of moving parts that you can get in, you know, on the ground floor and yeah. kind of shake up some trees there. That's great. So you making the, I do deliveries on Fridays too for nice. individuals that are, have you made some friends? <laughs> um, with people? Not quite, but you know, I'm getting to meet a few neighbors <laughs> and stuff. It's, uh, um, That's great. yeah, I don't know if it's, you know, lasting friends yet, but yeah, it's, it's good. It's, it's, um, 
it's a way to uh, uh, get involved in this community, if nothing else, um, where, you know, I moved here last year, um, had a year to like. And what's the neighborhood again? Uh, Jamaica Plain. I love JP. Yeah. yeah. I love it there. Yeah, it's great. I loved um, it 20 years ago or whenever I was there. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's cool. It's you know, I, I didn't spend a lot of time here last year because I was like driving to another town to okay. work. And then uh, this right. year has been this year. So <laughs> I haven't yeah. seen anybody. Um, but yeah. Uh, uh, what else? Yeah, I'm 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 realizing that you know that that interplay between everything like you were talking about um and it's really helped me feel better about like the election and yeah. you know all of this stuff uh because i think people tear their hair out over like you know i don't want to vote for joe biden or like maybe i should or like no fuck mm -hmm. you and it's like it, it doesn't just do it like who cares <laughs> just yeah, just do yeah. it that's one thing like the, we have to do all these other things and part of our whole equation, yeah, should be like, all right, let's have not Donald Trump for president. And then yeah. like. <laughs> Plus, let's hope there's a stacking of staff that are progressive, you know, folks that believe the same things. And I think that's also the thing that he's just kind of running on is like, yo, dude, I got a squad of people that can fucking text faster than me. Like, let's let's get these guys like let's get these guys spots, you know. Right. Um, yeah, well, and also, uh, you know, cause I, I think people talk about push him to the left or whatever. And it's like, okay, I, I don't really know what people mean by that, but I do think that a more realistic thing is to push voters left. Yeah. And I think that, you know, that is, uh, maybe a little like immediately easier to do under Trump, but like, I think we can still do it under Biden. I think we need a an environment where it's still going to be okay to, you know, yeah, <laughs> dissent publicly. Yeah, my um, so last week I was doing some work for a um, for a virtual symposium, a global scientific symposium for a huge pharmaceutical company, and they pretty much are, you know, they just did their virtual event instead of in person and the breakout rooms and the fucking conference and all their fucking geeky, nerdy science people, um, whatever. So there was really big wigs from the vaccine world, oncology, like radiology, everyone you could fucking think of. Most of the time I'm like listening into the room and I'm like, what? I don't even understand what they're talking yeah. about. Are they using English? <laughs> Do we need an interpreter? What are they saying? But I was listening to the head of Johnson & Johnson, Okay. And their strategic like science group, Janssen, which is like their co and one of the top doctors in the world. They were I was listening in because they were like in the green room ready to go on. I was just like eavesdropping <laughs> and they were talking about how we are going to be in a crisis if Biden does not win when it comes to getting vaccine and boosters to the American people in an organized way that's that's I mean what they were pretty much saying which listen could change tomorrow but they were like this isn't going to be a shot in the arm vaccine it's likely going to be multiple boosters that you would have to track and get you know over, over multiple months and then you would be added to some list where you would be clear 
for yeah. travel and clear okay. for school and all those things. And, and we would need someone who's not Trump to make sure that that is allowed and that we can do that. And then all of the fucking, but Joe, I just mean to say, I'm listening to them talk about like, you know, they're like, you know, we got together with Mike, the CEO of AstraZeneca and the Pfizer guys. And, you know, as a group of heads of the pharmaceutical companies, like we are not going to allow the government to fuck this up. And I was like, I, I'm like listening in. I'm like, <laughs> these guys are going to help us. What? <laughs> guys, is big pharma going to save us from the goddamn government? In which case... What do you need? Like, <laughs> I got your back. You know, should I buy more aspirin? Like, oh I felt so hopeful. I was like, oh, my God. Like, <laughs> really smart people are going to fucking do this. Like, right. they're going to put aside their – they put aside their capitalist brains for a second. And they're like, oh, humanity before profits. That's what big pharma right. is well, saying right now. Yeah. I'm sure that I'm sure they're going to profit, but, but yeah, it's, but they're, they're, instead of being like the person with the vaccine, we must kill him and his family so we can take it. They're like, okay, Gilead's got the vaccine. We're going to do the antibody boosters. Let's get Pfizer. Like they're fucking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'll let them take that one. Um, <laughs> yeah, they, they're going to need to do a lot more to help balance things, right. but this is definitely a start in the like direction, right? Right. Um, yeah. yeah you what know. if the vaccine's as addictive as heroin? We're all just like <laughs> hopped up on vaccine. We're going to be suing people later. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, you can add them to the list. We'll spare them in the revolution. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. uh, let's see. Um, so what else? Yeah. What else do you want to check in about in terms of like, um, what's, what's next? I mean, you're going to listen to the podcast. You're going to, you're going to push this out. And right. I think the thing I want to say is like, I wish the level of intensity is, was the same as it was, but I think it, it could potentially be even more powerful mm-hmm. the same way that you had after nine 11, you know, millions of people, this intensity and eventually they calm down, but we s- take our shoes off at the airport. You know, we have levels of an alert and a system that has <laughs> structurally changed how we travel in forever. Yeah. And I think that's what this is going to be. I think you are going to see, the buildings topple when it comes to the kind of policies that are being restructured around policing in the United States. I think it yeah. is going to be monumental change. Right. Well, hopefully, yeah, hopefully it'll, it'll look better than uh, <laughs> taking our shoes off the airport. But uh... yeah, I mean that it's so weird. Like I, um, I know, man, I theatrical safety, right. Know, there's so much, theater and optics around shit. But um, I was just listening to a podcast with Ezra Klein and what's, how do you pronounce his name? Coates, Tanahasi. Oh, Tanahasi, Tanahasi. Yeah. One of those, yeah. And they were talking about how this is different from 19, the riots in 68 and how it's because on a global level, you had people having an empathetic response to something happening 
you know, with George Floyd across the world. You have people protesting right. in London because they could see and hear the thing that's happening. And that is strikingly different than anything we've ever experienced, that we have an immediate archive of right. the proof of, of the things, like, right on our yeah. phones. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. And, and then and... those people are voting. Right. Like, right now, Biden is is like a 50% lead yeah. with undergrads. And I'm like, <laughs> the numbers, it's literally like, I mean, are you an Eagles fan? Do you like football? I'm not really into football, but. <laughs> yeah, well, Eagles fans are just as fucking dumb as Trumpsters in that in the fourth quarter, we're down by 30 points. There's right. two minutes <laughs> left. And we're like, okay, so we could get a kickoff return. We'll run it back. We'll get the ball back. We'll do an onside kick. Like we're yeah. flailing at the, and we're still thinking like maybe there's a chance. And so I think you're seeing, right. I mean, what do you yeah, think? You're, I, you're in the, in the kind of flood there. Do you, yeah. do you see the flailing of, of the Trump you see them dying like the wicked witch right now or what? <laughs> I, I don't know. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's hard to, to say with confidence. We all, you know, I, so yeah, I go with, um, uh, the, the Vosh theory of, um, this, he's a YouTube lefty guy. Um, I go with the Vosh theory of like, yeah, this looks really bad for Republicans, but now that you know that, it doesn't fucking mean anything. Go vote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wake up. What someone said, like, wake up like you're behind, but go to sleep like you're ahead. <laughs> right. Like, sleep well, but wake up and exactly. act like you're losing. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I think it, it's it, we're in good shape because, like, um, you know, for in in as much as electing Biden will, you know. Uh, improve things in that Donald Trump won't be president anymore. It is good that like institutions are, are backing him. Um, it's, it's good that like, all right, you know, I have nothing good to say about wall street banks, but if they like Joe Biden, that means you know, yeah. we, the, the one goal of mine, which is, or, you know, the number one on my list right now is to get rid of Trump. And that's what, that's what is, uh, Everyone's pushing for us. So, um, yeah. yeah, I think it's, uh, we're in good shape, but, uh, yeah. we gotta, you know, just like all this stuff, don't stop. <laughs> yeah. I think don't stop. I think if I could bless the world with something, it would be with empathy and curiosity. I think that the <laughs> kind of divisiveness of politics and more and more, I mean, they were saying like, oh, the boomers are used to kind of not necessarily always voting down party lines and being kind mm -hmm. of like, who do I want to vote for versus what's my party putting right. out? And I, I want us to get to that space with more choice and more nuance and curiosity in, in issues versus this kind of, you know, black and white thinking. <laughs> I think it's really defeating. I know yeah. that's... Um, you know, in recovery, one of the things I learned is like how dangerous it is to have that kind of thinking because it doesn't let you be wrong. It doesn't let anyone else be wrong. It doesn't right. let there be forgiveness. It doesn't let there be error or flaws in our own, you know, I mean, we're all such hypocrites in all the other things that we're thinking. And, you know, the, the more kind of, um, 
elder statesmen we could be versus bleeding deacons, I think is going to lead to, I, I want more voices at the table. I want right. more ideas at the table. I don't want it to just be like, oh, we all say blue. We're over here saying blue. I want more. Right. I think yeah. that's always going to be better. Yeah. And that it, it, it does. Um, it, it is a mindset thing, but it's also like, you know, breaking the, the, the type of system we have where it's like you either get, you know, this absolutely insane far right, like white nationalist party or boring corporatists like and it's like, yeah, I mean, that's why uh, it it falls so starkly is because, we you know, we're, you only give people two choices for so long. And like, of course, it's going to be polarized. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, we 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 don't have um, a lot of choices when it comes to uh, you know the important choice the choices. Yeah, it, yeah. I feel like ranked choice, man. We need to Philly's funniest this fucking voting. Everything <laughs> needs to be ranked choice. Yeah. Like, put your top three. Obviously, we know you're coming for Joe, but like, right, tell exactly. us who your number two and three are, and maybe everyone will get heard. Right. Um, I am looking for the death of Mitch McConnell, Lindsey Graham, <laughs> and Donald Trump, and including Bill Barr. Yeah. I feel like if those four could get into a fucking rocket ship and go to the moon, I think it would be yeah good for yeah. everybody. It's it's just you know Noam Chomsky, who, who who's someone who is like so far to the left of the Democratic Party, you could can't even see him from <laughs> from the DNC, but like, uh, he's you know more more fervently endorsing Biden than he has any other Democratic candidate in the past because his position is that, yeah, the Republican Party is the most dangerous organization in human history. Mm. They are literally, like, <laughs> just rocketing us towards, like, the end of life on Earth. And, mm. yeah, I think we need to fucking banish far-right thinking to hell and yeah. go from there. Because, yeah, there's a lot of deep, like, you know, like, variation in thought and, and, and uh, um, you know, ideas and um, uh, tactics and whatever that we can have among reasonable people, but that's not what they are. Yeah, um, I'm, it, it, I'm, yeah. I think the the unreasonableness for everybody, though. I think there's sides of demo. Like I've seen Democrats also playing the same game, the what what aboutism stuff, and the and the unreasonableness. You know. I think we could all learn to be better arguers too. I think there's yes. some, you know, there's some style like of white supremacy. There's some, you know, ideas that we measure success as the person who is the loudest <laughs> and the tallest. Yeah. And I think we could reshape, you know, what having a conversation and an argument looks like. Yeah. Okay, we disagree on the healthcare thing. Let's go to the next thing. Like, everyone needs to calm the fuck down, right? You know, or or yeah, or starting from like you know, agreeing on simple facts. It's like okay, well, let's look at what the American Medical Association says. Let's look at what you know the WHO says, and then we like look at all the data and we can agree like okay, this problem exists. Now, right, what do we do right. about it? Right. Um, yeah, I, so I wanted to ask you about uh, the book you mentioned. What was it? White Supremacy and Me? Was that it? Me and White Supremacy. Okay. M-A-W-S. Um, is that the one that, like, is used in corporate trainings and stuff, or is that a different one? 
I'm not sure, I mean, but it multiple, started but... as an Instagram challenge. And okay. um, I believe their name is, I have the book right here. Um, Layla Saad okay. is the author. And it goes through um, four weeks of daily reflection, reading, journaling. And each day kind of builds on the next, you know, where they start with kind of, you know, looking at and understanding terms like tone policing and uh, white privilege. And then they look at anti-blackness against children, against adult men, against women. They look at um, feminism and white supremacy and, and they kind of build on this whole thing by the last week of the challenge you're kind of being asked to examine it's really about examining your own behaviors and thoughts around things and kind of retraining yourself um but it starts really basic um yeah and it's something you could do every day for the rest of your life and you should i mean i think i don't know instagram kind of photo capture activism is you know annoying sometimes because it doesn't feel like it's as you know permanent but it i think it can be i think what we see in the kind of mall of social media ends up shifting the what we think and how we think so um yeah i would take a look at it. it's really simple it's like 20 or 30 minutes of work a week and yeah it helps explain some things they didn't even think of. They didn't even realize the way that I have these bias in me and, you know, it just slows your brain down a bit. You're like, wait yeah. a second, why do I get afraid about that? Or why does that bother me? And right. it's good. You should check it out. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's what any kind of, journaling does i guess is, is slows your brain down um yeah you really look at that stuff i think white centering is a thing that did you see the bill um bill burr on snl this past <laughs> i saw um i saw one clip that was on twitter the thing about like white women taking over woke wokeness or something yeah it was funnier when Chappelle did that though back in <laughs> june right because these comics are running out of material, they're all just recycling. yeah, yeah. How did how did you feel about the billboard? Because like the at least the piece I saw, I felt like all right. I'm I'm not sure why this was like so out like like made people so outraged, but I I get how like this is kind of the like what he's been doing for ten years, and the culture's definitely moved past him at this point. So I get that. Yeah, but I don't know. What do you think? I don't know. I'm not, I've seen Bill Burr. I've never really seen a standup. Yeah. Um, that was the first probably full standup set I've seen him do. I've seen him on like, like a couple of shows, like late night shows. I think he's really fucking funny. I yeah. Think he's super smart, but I didn't like think his set was so funny. I don't think it was super offensive. I was just like, eh, that bombed, you know? Right. It was, he did this one where he's like, I didn't know that gay, there was gay pride month. I'm like, I don't know if I believe you. <laughs> right. Like if I believe you that you didn't know that June was gay pride month, you lived in New York, you're, you've traveled all over your material that you're about to do should be about what a fucking idiot you are. 
Right. Which you a know? lot of his material is. So I think, you know, maybe it's seeing this short set of like a lot of unfinished material, maybe. Yeah. That could it was be a little it. bit unpolished, but, maybe. But yeah. I just didn't believe it. I was like, eh, I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> right. But anyway, <laughs> I thought it was fine. I mean, I don't I think when we think there's outrage, we're talking about there is a cacophony of expression. Yeah. And happening nonstop all the time. The f I think you can judge the outrage by how long it lasts. Right. I mean, it's less than two days. Yeah. It's yeah. Bill Burr. Fucking hour. Yeah. Bill know? Burr actually made an interesting point about that a couple of years ago. I think Bill Maher was trying to like bait him into like, you know, going off about SJWs or whatever. And Bill Burr just kept being like, no, I mean, how many people is it really? And like, if people are upset at something, that's fine. That's their right. And I don't really care. Like, so it was, yeah. It was like, yeah, I, th I think um, he's. He's a little more level-headed than some of those, like, fuck you, I'll say what I want, guys. Yeah. Um, I mean, and he did some stuff where I was like, oh, you know, I've been hearing comics talk about cancel culture now for a while, so I'm bored of this. So yeah, maybe other people are like, ooh, edgy. Right. You know, I'm like, eh. I'm, I'm bored. I think we should cancel bits about cancel culture. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I think, can't, I, I think fundamentally, like as a just a rule of thumb i guess i think comedy should be he should be allowed to do the comedy all day fucking no you want to by canceling you mean you're not going to support him good go don't support him <laughs> right like i don't think shane should have been kicked off of snl i don't think that, that there should have been this kind of insane backlash Unless the person committed a crime like bill cosby yes <laughs> we're canceling him right. he's done you know, like crime, yes, yes, crime, but like bad humor, offensive. <laughs> I cannot agree with it, but be like, oh shit, that's funny. I get the funny there, but I, right, you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. And the the Shane Gillis thing, I think, had a lot wrapped up in it. Like, first of all, it's like <laughs> the same week they hired Shane, who did this like you know offensive Asian voice and uh, or a Chinese voice, and hired a Chinese guy the same week. Um, and, you know, their goal was to hire someone who would appeal to like middle America or something in Shane. Right. And then they were surprised that that ended in races, you know, like, uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I just think that that kind of, you know, you know, they, they fired him and they, they didn't, didn't. I don't know. They didn't have to. They could have kept him. But like it was their decision to fire him. And then like I, I just feel like isn't there a lesson to be taken from this that like <laughs> yeah. pandering to the right wing is going to get you there, like is going to land you with that? Like, I, I don't know. And I know Shane and and uh, I, I also know a lot of people like, you know, from Philly, people we did comedy with who are mm -hmm. uh, who hate Shane. Who you know like yeah. felt harassed by him and and had uh, had him say like you know racial slurs at them and and all this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. So it's like yeah, I, for a long time I was like yeah Shane he's rough around the edges, but it, yeah he's always nice when I see him. And it's like yeah, but that's me. <laughs> that's right, not right. everyone's you know. Yeah, I mean, listen, I know people that whatever. I mean, we're 
I don't think you have to. I don't think you should have to win a personality contest. If Shane said stupid shit and later he's like, oh, I shouldn't have fucking said that or whatever. It's like, I don't know. Different than, I mean, I don't know. I think he's also one of the funniest comics that I've ever seen. And he's he's got some personality issues that he's had, you know, and paid prices for and will probably continue to as he grows and evolves as a human. I probably wouldn't pay to see money to see him do comedy. I probably wouldn't pay to see Bill Burr either, whatever. <laughs> but I mean, right. I guess my experience of comedy is like it's these people aren't the news. <laughs> yeah, they're just yeah. comedians. They're entertainers. It's a it's a clown in a park. Don't go to the park, <laughs> and and don't hang out with the clown. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I I think you would say Joan Rivers. If you look back on Joan Rivers, you'd be like, she should be canceled. Don Rickles, <laughs> they should be canceled. Well, yeah, Howard but, Stern should be but, fucking done, though. But it's like for some people he is, and for other people he's not. Yeah. Well, I think that I should mean, be allowed, right? Yeah, it sh- yeah, it should be allowed. I I think also, uh, I don't know. I I don't. I never like the the territory of of like, uh, we can't criticize jokes because they're jokes. Like mm-hmm. I I feel like, okay, like at some level, the stuff we say on stage is informed by how we feel absolutely and of I course think criticize we'll be, all day yeah i think absolutely criticize yeah. all day everyone is allowed to to criticize they're also allowed if to say i'm not booking this person yeah. i don't want this guy in my like i, I think that's a hundred percent allowed i think i don't know i think in terms of like ending their life or their <laughs> or their opportunities because you because they called you the n-word 19 years ago it's like I don't know. Yeah, but I think the the argument might be like, okay, the people who were humiliated by Shane at a show, did, did how many opportunities did they lose from that? Or you know, because like, uh, uh, Shane was was brought in to the open arms of Helium right away. Like, how many people had been working for that way longer and? were just as deserving, but weren't like burly white dudes from central PA who can, can hang and fucking like say, uh, you know, racy shit and drink beers. Like it's, it's, uh, there's, yeah, there's a, there's a point where, um, I don't know. It's, it's like you said, the, they can, this SNL has the right to not hire him. They could have kept mm-hmm. him on and it probably would have gone away. You know, I don't know. I mean, I'll but. tell you what, the last show they did was so fucking bad. <laughs> I watched some <laughs> yeah. of those sketches. I'm like, shit, dude, those are the best writers. Yeah. It's painful. That yeah. sucks. <laughs> There's some bombs in there for sure. Right. But, um, I don't know. I mean, I think you should be more offended to put something out there. That's not funny and call yourself a comedian. <laughs> Yeah, you know? there's plenty of that too. Right. Um, I so yeah, one one more thing, and then we can yeah. wrap it up. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. so I was curious about that book because um, there's I think it's a different book that I'm thinking of that's being used a lot in corporate like anti-racism trainings. Uh-huh. Um, and I've I've heard this from some like uh, you know alt right commentators and. Um, <laughs> A now a uh, former friend of mine. Um, former friend? Hold on, yeah. I'm getting a seltzer. This sounds juicy. Okay. Um, but he mentioned it 
in, uh, you know, in the last conversation I had with him, um, that he, you know, he works in some tech job in California and they, they had to do this anti-racism training and, and made them read this book. And he was going on about how it's, um, it is basically teaching you like that white people are inherently racist and, uh, it's like this overtly political thing that they're that they're forcing on you in a work environment. Mm. And uh I don't I don't know much about the book he's talking about. I haven't been to this corporate training, but mm. like I I feel like that's a a misconception. White men especially, no offense. Yeah. <laughs> are shaking in their fucking boots, man. Yeah. Some right. white men are so nervous that they're going to be called a thing they don't agree with. Right. A lot of the anti-racist stuff I'm, I'm reading, including me and white supremacy talks about how a person isn't racist. Behaviors are racist and right. behaviors can stop and behaviors can change. And on any given day, the layers of racism that you may express could change and shift and you can kind of take it off. If you want to take it off, you can. Right. So that it's not who we are, but how we can act. And right. as as a person who is white in America, you are inherently in a structure of white supremacy, no matter if you believe it or not. Right. It's just true. It's like, you don't want to believe in climate change. Great. That doesn't make anything better in terms right. of the environment. <laughs> So I think um, the kind of pushback on the book, Me and White Supremacy, which really tries to dumb down these concepts in really bite-sized pieces. And I think if, if people did kind of do more of like a historical review, they might, those that might be like, oh, this is bullshit. They might be able to see like historically how these things changed and how this has happened. And, you know, we're not just coming out here in 2020 and saying race was created. Right. We're going back to like the early, early days when the words even were invented. They were invented to create hierarchy. Yeah. So anything that came from that. And I don't know. I don't know why people get so fucking afraid that they're, you know, like, if, if I was walking down the street and I accidentally bumped into somebody, I was like, oh, gosh, I'm so sorry. Do you think they would freak out, punch me in the face, and then I would, I would, if I was like, I'm sorry, I stepped, I stepped on your foot. You know, that was an accident. Their reaction, if, if they had a billion people stepping on their foot every five minutes, could really be escalated, right? Right. And in order for me to react to their escalated reaction i need to know that a million other people have stepped on their foot yeah and it's not just me on their foot here and that as if i knew that that diagnosis then i i might not scream back at them yeah i might be like you're right i'm sorry this sucks uh, you're right i'm one i believe you that i'm one of a million people i will be more careful like it, it would soften me even more if i had that understanding you know, mm -hmm. so how do we get them the understanding that right. in addition, you're going to accidentally walk on their foot and that you're the 10 millionth person to do that. So we're going to need you, white dude, to know that so right. you can have a response 
that has the full understanding of what's going on here, not yeah. just that moment. Right. I don't know. Yeah, that it that reminds me of um, uh, someone I was in a band with. Um, she... Oh, sure. Way to throw that in there. <laughs> what happened oh, that... with Eddie Van Halen yeah, backstage? Yeah. <laughs> uh, this reminds me of Skittles, actually. Uh, did I say Eddie Van Halen? Anyway, he loves Skittles. Um, but uh, <laughs> no, it's a, my listeners know I, I plug my music all the time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, this this bandmate of mine, she she worked for like a, uh, a personal loan company or something. Okay. And you know, they send out mailers to just, you know, whoever. Mm-hmm. And she got a call from, from this black woman who was like really mad that she got one of her mailers. Um, and you know, I don't, I don't like pass any judgment about like this bandmates, uh, place of work. I don't know, but I know that personal loaning shit can be a little scammy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, this this black woman uh, left her a voicemail and was like really pissed off. And she was like, hey, um, like, stop trying to prey on on this black neighborhood. We are smart black people and we're educated yeah. and we know when we're f- fucking being scammed and um, you're not going to do that to us or whatever. And she played the voicemail for me, I think, expecting me to be like, oh, my God. Yeah. What a fucking crazy person. But like I, I heard it and I was like, yeah, I mean, look, I. I don't know. And she doesn't know like what kind of company you have. Um, but like, even if she's wrong to like leave you an angry voicemail, which I I don't think she is like, but even if that's wrong, like you can still learn something from this situation. You can still be like, okay, what has happened in this person's life in her, her family's history or whatever that could maybe have have provoked this reaction when she gets mm-hmm. my flyer, you know, because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it's a flyer. Like, yeah, of course, like you would expect that if someone sees a flyer they don't like, they'll just throw it out. But like it's it's there's something something there if someone's going to get that upset about a flyer. So, um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's a better it's a better way to approach things. And it's it's a more interesting way to approach things because you end up learning a lot more about people. <laughs> Yeah, I think the I think as a, as a rule, perhaps are when it comes to black and brown people, specifically black people in America, white people for a while now, we need to have several extra layers of compassion, curiosity and understanding. And it's, you know, I know during the beginning of the Me Too thing, it was like within six weeks, men are like, this is bullshit. <laughs> right. like, but it's now it's totally off balance. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it needs to be off balance for 25 years before it resets. Right. So that your dick can be on the right <laughs> page here. Yeah. So I think like understanding that it has been tipped so much that part of what we're going to do is not to say, okay, well, we're equal. All races are equal. Like we're actually not going to, come we can't come at it that's whitewashing right we need to actually be i think extra special careful and extra sensitive for for a minute you know yeah yeah Uh, it's it's very it's very telling because i don't really i don't really feel like and you know this is my feeling but like i don't feel like women or black people or anyone is telling me that i have to suffer now (laughs) I don't feel like that's the message, at least most of the time. 
And I think it's very telling that white men are are terrified of being treated the way white men have treated women and people of color for a very long time. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The more I hear about fucking slavery, the more I'm like, or the more I learn about it, the more I hear about, you know, the impact of, just think about like families that have a bad experience with like a company or a business. Right. Like you could grow up in a family that hates Coca-Cola because of a thing that happened to your dad in college. Right. And the kind of ancestral locking in of hatred yeah. against institutions. Well, especially what... if if you live in like Guatemala or whatever where Coca-Cola like has armies. Right. <laughs> exactly, right? So like a family can really latch onto a shared hatred of a of another village or another institution or whatever and have very little immediate experience of it, but just know like, oh no, dude, they fucking, you know, Fifth Street really fucked over my family, so we don't fuck with Fifth Street anymore. And think about that times fifty million yeah. families. And it makes sense. I mean, I say this it's not a bit, but it makes sense that for some people, their experience in the world is with fingers blazing. Fuck everybody. I'm out here on my own. I'm going to take what I want. I'm going to have a car. I'm going to blast the music. I don't give a fuck. I'm going to throw litter out the window. No one gives a fuck about me. I'm going to take care of myself. I, I mean, if you're in that much pain and trauma and you're in a constant fight response, that is survival, right? Yeah. That's keeping yourself safe. I mean, it's fucking annoying. <laughs> I wish I wish I could take it away from people that are kind of constantly at, at this operating level of acting out, but they're experiencing pain. I mean, in a way, that's what Trump is doing. He's a fucking traumatized little boy with very yeah. little emotional ability. I mean, he is constantly, this is surviving for him, yeah. right? He is acting out so viciously. This is his best chance in his brain to function and survive. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't imagine what, what that upbringing was. I mean, yeah, me neither. <laughs> I don't know. Anyway. <laughs> well, thank you for doing this. We have almost a, another full episode here. <laughs> oh, good. You could use whatever you want. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the one thing I would ask is that you don't include any of the me sharing the email from John Feinberg, just so we can keep that on the DL. Okay. But uh, and that was just off the record. But, you know, it's you got the thumbs up on the other content. So he listened and it was fine. So you could push that out, whatever you want. Cool. Thanks for holding Sounds on to it good. for a minute. Yeah, no problem. It's good How's to talk to you. How's your lady? Um, she's good. She's got a ex an extremely demanding job right now. It'll um, be over in a couple weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah, with good good results, hopefully. But uh, tell her, send her my best. Tell her hello. I will. And let good. me know if you need anything else. And thanks for doing this. Send it over when it's all set. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. It's good talking to you. You too, man. I'll talk to you soon. Go Biden. Go birds. Yeah. See ya. All right. See you later, Joe.
were talking about how it's sort of the first time a lot of people have gone through this sort of like world altering thing. Um, yes. Whereas someone like yourself who has gone through it on a personal level is maybe a little more equipped. Well, <laughs> I'll say this, that I have the, it feels less overwhelming yeah. to make this kind of magnitude of a shift and change because I've done a kind of restructuring of my world when I got sober. Mm -hmm. But I don't think everyone that's gotten sober is going to be motivated to do the work. I just think that I'm like, oh, this, I actually, this is possible. This feels possible. Yeah. So you, so you're talking about the, uh, the protests in particular or. Yeah. The, I think yeah. the thing I'm talking about is, and actually Lise, I need my phone real quick. Cause I want to look up this picture. If I may. Thank you. My love. Um, yeah. The last time we talked Joe on a podcast, I was single, you were angry yeah. from a breakup and now <laughs> you're married and I'm engaged. Yeah. There we go. Congrats <laughs> by the way. Congrats to you. Um, it all came from that podcast. So <laughs> this was the picture of a sign that I felt like really is the thing right now um, for me. Okay. Um, in the seventh space, the critical turning point of transformation, you shirt realities, um, develop an ethical, compassionate strategy with which to negotiate conflict and difference within self and between others and find common ground by forming holistic alliances. You include these practices in your daily life, act on your vision. So it feels like there's this, not a diet, but like a shift in lifestyle and how we think, act, what we do with our money, how we talk about things, what we call out, what we don't call out and kind of navigating that as a lens for the future. And I yeah. think that's what I mean. Not just the protest, not just this thing, but like kind of this reckoning of, um, reckoning of our own beliefs structures and challenging what we think and, you know, activating some new thoughts. Yeah, for sure. And I think that, you know, in addition to, the the act itself, the actual murder of George Floyd that set this off, that that being so like so stark and so horrifying to people, and mm -hmm. then the magnitude of the reaction, um, you know, the protests, and then like the police reaction to the protests, I think makes people like it's really woken people up. It and feels for like anyone, it's definitely awake an uh, awakening. Yeah. Because anyone who, who questions at this point, like, uh, the efficacy or, like, whether they sh should still be in the streets or, or how violent or looting or whatever they should be doing, it's like, you know, whatever you have to say about that, it's working. So Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there is some um, global awareness at a perfect, I mean, 
it's like just a divine moment when people are angry, frustrated, and really sick of being inside. Yeah. And then at the <laughs> same time, this, okay, are you willing to risk going outside to be a part of this movement and kind of kickstart this for yourself and for your community and, you know, I was on a call earlier with some folks from a, a progressive church that Lisa does some work at. And um, a lot of people kind of have had this experience of being all of the feelings every second, exhausted, motivated, cynical, frustrated, <laughs> engaged, activated, and kind of this like cacophony of emotional space. And just trying to reflect on that and, you know, keep it activated, I guess. Yeah. Um, was this a, um, uh, I mean, it sounds like it was, was this a big turning point for you? Like, and getting you into activism? Have you done stuff like this before? Okay. Absolutely. Never done. I mean, I had the privilege to opt out of all conversations and experiences and issues that feel felt like they were threatening anything that I might have stakes in Mm -hmm. and could jump in and fight just long enough and just in a safe enough space where it felt like I wasn't putting my neck out too far. Right. And the, and really not, I mean, I learned about white privilege and male privilege, all this stuff in a very liberal arts Jewish college that I went to. And I was just fucking getting high and drinking beer and not engaged, you know, and didn't care to be and was irritated by those that were. Right. Um, so this is the, my first experience of being like, oh, shit, I got it's time to get to work in this space and kind of really open up to the discomfort and all the different things. And the first time going out into a protest like that ever, I think I went to a DC like gentle walk (laughs) for like (laughs) Jewish refugees when I was like 11. Yeah. Probably (laughs) not even really thinking about why. Yeah. 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 And you know, like even though a lot of uh, those of us who like were sort of engaged or like felt like we were engaged, it's like, yeah, like you're saying, we learned about white privilege from white college professors with white students and mm-hmm. grew up in white towns. And, uh, you know, w- we all thought our position paper or our comedy act or whatever was going to like w- that that was doing the work. And it's like, yeah, it's really it's really not. <laughs> I think it was. Um, it was, yeah, it was barely scratching the surface, but in a moment when we didn't know, we we had the privilege of not understanding, not really knowing that big part of this has been not really listening and hearing what people were saying. And just like, I was like, ugh, it's enough, (laughs) you know, enough already. Right. It's been like the, and also like the thing Lisa and I have been talking about is, and some other comedy people that I respect their strategy and tactics um, about we're all uniquely talented in some ways 
that can apply those talents and gifts, whether it's art or whether it's expression, yeah. whether it's speaking up or whether it's just walking a walk or we all have our own unique gifts to add and, and shape what this work is going to look like. And we, I think we also need to be really careful to not judge anyone else's exercises here. Right. Yeah. As, as or long speed as, or process. Or, yeah. Yeah. And as, as long as you're not dismissing and, and you're, you know, participating as much as you can, uh, you know, uh, uh, in uh, whatever way you can. Yeah. Um, uh, For sure. Yeah. It, it's, uh, yeah, it's scary. I mean, like, so, well, you got, you got tear gassed. Yeah. Um, that was in Philly, right? Yeah. I got, we got tear gassed and we were on this March and it was, the first time I'd been in a space where people were fighting in this way and the whole March, like for the two miles before we even got the tear gas were unifying. And it was the first time we were around people for fucking three months. We've been in the house, COVID masks. Mm -hmm. I mean, scary aggravated at anyone not wearing a mask. Like we were on the fucking anti-mask brigade. Like that was our fucking, we were like masks are the thing. Everyone needs to, and then in a second, we're in a fucking group of 10,000 people all wearing masks, but right. socially distancing and being like, well, this is essential. Let's put all that stuff to the side and walk forward. And for the first two miles, it was fucking legit, man. There was, I was inspired. I was goosebumps. I was, cr I was like saying to Lisa, I was so glad I was wearing sunglasses and a mask because I was just crying the whole time because it mm. felt big. It felt like emotional. Yeah. And then we got to the highway or the end of the march by the art museum and the police were blocking the entrance to the highway. And within five minutes, the group was climbing the fence and moving the fence. And at the same time, everyone was also understanding that the cars on the highway, like the highway had been closed. So there were only a couple of cars so we all start piling onto the highway and the cars are like, no one's fucking beeping their horn saying, get out of the way. People <laughs> right. are getting out of their cars and standing next to their cars and clapping. And, and it wasn't, it wasn't a, Oh my God, what, what these poor cars trapped on the highway. And we were walking and marching and walking towards, I guess we were in 76. What direction were we walking? I forget, but there was a, I'm already anxious in groups in big, huge right. groups because there's no way for me to get all the attention. <laughs> I'm like there's too many people here. Yeah. If you're I not need on to stage. be in front. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Where's the stage? Exactly. Yeah. Um, and we were on the median and already I was scared. People were walking in the median of the highway under the overpass and mm -hmm. people were like almost falling. And I was like, Oh my God, someone's going to fall while trying to take the perfect picture of this moment. And then like a fucking, like the movie War of the Worlds or the movie like just like in a blink, it was it I we thought there was an active shooter or or a car. We didn't know tear gas yet. It was yeah. just everybody turned, looked at us and started running at us. <laughs> and we were like, oh, and you know, we climbed up, we had jumped off the median and now we're like, oh shit, we have to get out of here. 
And everybody, like in that first second, we're like, what's happening? Scared, climbing over people. Someone's on Lisa's back. Someone's, we're, oh my God. And then it's settled. People were like, okay, no, no, we can't actually trample people. Let's get out of here. And then the tear gas, it was like, okay, this is tear gas. Lisa was saying she's been in protests. She's a fucking Bernie supporter and has actually done a lot of social justice work. And she was like, once she felt the tear gas, she was like, okay, we're going to be okay. Like, it's just tear gas. And meanwhile, I'm like, like, can't fucking breathe. There's people fucking trampling. And we can't, I was like, I'm going to get into someone's car. That was my thought. Let me get mm. into a car here and like hide. Yeah. It'd probably be worse. I mean, be I, the, I guess it yeah. would be worse. The thing that immediately was like, okay, who is shooting tear gas into a trapped underpass? It, we were in a fucking tunnel. It wasn't like, yeah. I, I mean, it didn't make, it wasn't like we were in a big field and, so I felt like a fucking rat and we climbed out, we got out of the highway and we, in order to get out of the, of 76, it's so crazy. Cause when we talked about it later, I used to think when I was a kid driving on the highway, how fun it would be to go sledding on those embankments bank, <laughs> because they're so fucking steep yeah. and just like fly down. And then we're trying to get out of that. And Joe, there are people like above us, ahead of us, fucking falling, like goddamn fucking rats, dude, trying to get out. And I had this moment where I was like, we need to get away from these falling rats. Like we need to go around them. And then at the same time, people were just pushing everybody up. So there was this like connection and everyone working together and okay, let's get, even though it was like five minutes of fucking terror where I was like, okay, I'm, positive I shit myself I'm sure my I've pissed all over the place (laughs) a lot of people were immediately in emergency response mode let's go here's the thing you know come up here what do you need here's the water take this like baking soda wash so there was like a huge group and then I smashed my fucking knee and couldn't walk and couldn't breathe and ripped off my fucking mask so in like 10 minutes or less I had emotional crying this is so exciting from this moment oh my god me and my fiance are gonna die i can't grab her hand she's getting trampled on we can't get the fuck out of here i smashed my knee oh my god that's tear gas i can't breathe now i have to rip off my fucking mask but what about covid like in in this rapid succession so by the time i got up and out and i was crying and by the tree and trying to catch my fucking breath and lisa's with me And there's a ton of people stopping. Are you okay? What do you need? You know, and then someone was like, we need to get, keep moving. We need to get out of here. This isn't going to stop. So there was also like that emotion, right. Of everyone saying, you know, we got this. And then for the next 24 hours, every time I closed my eyes, as if I had been swimming in the ocean all day, I closed my eyes and I'm like, I'm going to die. I'm not sure I'm not dead. That's how fucking scared I was. But I'm a giant fucking, I'm a drama queen and I'm also super easily traumatized and super fucking scared by shit like that. So my experience, I'm sure, was a lot different than, but holy shit, Joe, it was, it was, it felt, even if it wasn't near death, it fucking felt like near death. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's why they use it, right? I mean, that's, it's supposed to make you feel that way. Um, and then, yeah. you know, disperse, which 
I mean, it shouldn't even be used for that, but to to do it to people who are stuck is insane. Like, I, mean, I, I, I can't believe I, that's I just, just don't, it's, I, I had people, it was like the first day of people being out in the street and I had friends of mine, Neil Bardhan, Bradley Wren, who were kind of following some of my Instagram stories. And then like when I stopped posting and they had seen the tear gas, they reached out to me, are you okay? You went, so there was also, in addition, this like this small group of people were out there protesting. There was this crazy fucking response by with the tear gas. And the people that weren't out there were watching and they came out like yesterday because they were like, fuck that. So if they weren't in the movement just yet, that pushed people in. Yeah. It my dad was like, what the fuck is going on? Like, yeah. I mean, it it's not. I don't know. Like my, I was saying my family grew up, I grew up in this Jewish family where it's kind of like the oppression Olympics. Everyone's like, Jews had it worse. Like I would say something to my mom and she'd be like, yeah, well, Jews were slaves for 4,000 years. I'm like, Mm. okay, but we're talking about black lives right now. Right. We're not. And grew up telling racist jokes and all that shit in my fucking family. So, and my dad kind of had some cringy kind of stuff with him and, he had an experience of being his ass beat when he was a kid by a bunch of black kids that tied him to a fence, beat the shit out of him, pissed on him. So he has like for being Jewish. Right. So there's a lot of that bullshit. And for that thing to happen with the tear gas and for people to see it and my family to be like, what the fuck? They immediately were like, black lives matter. We're on this fucking, you know, so it kind of pushed people. Yeah. The, I, I think that, you know, in the minds of the poli- <clears throat> of the police and the the powerful the politicians who are you know uh, sending the police out to do this shit, it the the mindset I think is like uh, we're trying to get this under control and we're trying to suppress this like right. m- like put an end to this sort of mini uprising we're having. Um, And it's really just doing the opposite. Like they really fucked up in the first place by what happened in in Minneapolis. And then like almost every step of the way, it's just been like radicalizing more and more people. Mm. Um, And yeah, I mean, you know, I think that. Do you think that's a metaphor for what's been going on? Like the police trying to silence the protesters is, is the same way I acted when someone would speak too loudly about like, this is a black thing. I'd be like, okay, like, let's move on. Let's focus on the comedy show. Okay. (laughs) Whatever the fuck I was talking about. Like, don't you think we've all done that? We've all tried to calm down the person that's speaking too loudly because it doesn't, it's uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, and God forbid we have empathy in this way that's so deep that actually makes it inconvenient for us to go in the other direction. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's that's the other thing I was thinking of when you were describing uh, what happened with this tear gas incident. Is It's it, like most most of the people there are trying to help. And, you know, they're out there because they're trying to help. And then, like you said, when you get attacked by the police they are there again to help. Um, and you know, when people talk about anarchy, they think that's like, they, they think that what anarchy is, is like 
people looting a target. And really, the anarchy that's happening right now is just what you described. It's people getting together. It's, it's an organized thing. It's people saying, like, let's set something up here because, yeah. like, we can't just kind of, like, let leaders take, you know, yeah. take charge on that because they're not going to do it. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that I think is really key here is that we understand, and again, I'm just strong from my experience in recovery, that we understand that up until this point, we have been brainwashed in a very specific way. Mm-hmm. And that that means there's going to have to be unbrainwashing. And that that experience of unbrainwashing is really fucking painful, uncomfortable, hard, makes you challenge and think about all the stuff. It makes you have, I remember early in recovery, arguing about how, I mean, just like, I can't, I don't even want to get into it, but like calling out what some people were saying was their drug of choice being like, no, dude, that's not, that's not addiction because it's not this, that, and the other. And the other person being like, I mean, even the fact that I like spent breath the arguing with someone trying to get better because they didn't do enough drugs. Like <laughs> what the fuck? But my point is that the, that's also part of the unbrainwashing, right? Is like that as we, process this and go through and learn about all this stuff we're gonna think differently about anarchy we're gonna think you know but that is part of it's almost like this has to be seen as a process um and that you're on the road and that this yeah I don't know if I said this the first time when we tried to do the podcast but like (laughs) this isn't an overnight matter but Mm -hmm. it's an every night matter yeah so that the that means you know yeah a little bit a lot of bit every day whatever you can take a day at a time you gotta be willing to go to any lengths that has to be the thing i think for now yeah yeah i think so um God, i totally forgot also I dude <laughs> go can i fucking tell you that after like i don't think my voice is very strong in this area but i know that some people listen to me because i'm a fucking idiot clown and i've <laughs> you know said dumb shit and people are like this is silly i want to listen to this silly clown and i'm like okay so there's a couple hundred people that might listen to me if i say a thing and I posted that story, which you saw. It was just like, this is the story. And the big part of the story was that when Lisa and I were walking away and I went up to the two police officers that were blocking the other part of Race Street near Chinatown, why did you guys tear gas into a group of people trapped under an underpass? Why, why was that the choice? Why did you guys tear gas? The one cop ignored me, walked right by me, went back into his car. The other cop yelled at me and said, it wasn't us. It was you guys. We didn't do anything. You better think about what you guys did and you better check. We don't even know what what they threw. Maybe it wasn't tear gas. You should be careful. You don't know what you were breathing. So then for three fucking blocks, I was like, Lisa, we need to go to the hospital. We don't know what that was. It could, they might've given us COVID. Like I was, So then that, that fucking cop, my friend Brad was like, you pay his fucking bills. You're his boss. That dude just sat there and said whatever. One guy ignored you. Like what? And I was like, that's fucked up, dude. 
these are our fucking employees. You know what I right. mean? So or that, that's what that we've was been told. Other, the piece of the story that I thought was an actual thing to share is those cops. Like, it wasn't us. It was you. Right. What? How yeah. about are you okay? <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. You're fucking, I don't know what happened, but how can I help you? <laughs> right. It's, uh, yeah, it's, it's fucking insane. You know, we've been told that there are employees that they that they work for us that they protect us and that's just not true i think people are finally starting to realize that it's it's just it's not it's not like oh they're supposed to and they don't like no that's literally not what that system is there were the response that i got from people most people were like oh my god are you okay i'm so sorry and then i got some other responses that i thought were really funny one person a lot of people said sent me lawyer contact contact this lawyer class action lawsuit lisa and i are trying to think about what we want to do someone else reached out and was like hey uh, i saw your post i'd never heard this guy don't know who this guy is i want to send you some weed where can i send you some cannabis for like any pain that you might have like let me send you some weed <laughs> like uh thank you yeah. but i'm okay but and then someone else reached out to me and was like hey i hope you and your partner are good i want to share the name of a gynecologist who is doing some research on tear gas and the like effect it has on your body. And if you start spontaneously menstruating, I want you to contact this gynecologist. Like they're doing some research. I'm like, okay, (laughs) let me put that on my fucking list of things. Like I know I've been bleeding out of my asshole, but let me check to see (laughs) if fucking anything else. Um, Wow. So anyway, yeah. I got a lot of support from the community. Yeah. Well, that's good. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Unreal, man. Yeah. It's yeah. just, that's such a silly thing, but it's also just, I don't know. That was ridiculous. Yeah. Um, should have taken them up on that weed. I should have been like, yeah, dude, send that fucking weed. And then yeah, just sure. like, <laughs> that's probably his answer to everything. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So, well, yeah, the, the, deprogramming thing makes me think of uh it's a lot of what we're deprogramming is a this individualism that kind of poisons this country i think and the west in general it's this like it's about like individuals making it and like it's about you and your family and like uh it's not about like a collective that's that's communist shit right so we don't we don't think about that here everything's a one to one thing yeah um, and i i i've been seeing that lately with uh and i i always say if anyone from the company i work for is listening this is just a hypothetical of course um but uh the i've been do i've been organizing my coworkers a little bit to ask for mm-hmm. shit from you know the people we work for and Mm -hmm. uh we had this meeting with um someone from hr who i i caught on pretty early in the meeting that she was just trying to divide us that it was like a lot of her answers were like well you know we can deal with that on an individual basis like come to Mm. me if you have an issue with how much you're being paid or whatever it's like yeah there's no group uh, mind at one point i was like because I didn't know if she knew that like we were all 
meeting separate from her and our managers. And I was like, no, like we we're all advocating for each other here. This is all mm-hmm. no there's no secret. Mm-hmm. Um and it's yeah, it's I'm it's glad just, you're doing that at work. I think we made like um one of the things that Lisa and I are doing is just like for, for our relationship, trying to figure out tangible things, actionable things we could do every day. And then kind of long game things that we want to kind of incorporate and consider and research. And, and then, yeah, the ways in which we can use our gifts to kind of what that is. You might be good at organizing the small group. She's a phenomenal writer. Maybe that's like where, you know, her gifts are used. I'm a fucking clown, you know, whatever that amounts to. And, but, um, I was going to say something else that, um, oh, the thing I was going to say is that at this moment, we're also kind of uncovering a, a, a tremendous amount of trauma of people's real, real trauma. And it's like the first kind of moment where I think a lot of people feel like they can finally be heard when they say, okay, that this has been going on, you know, this is the thing we've been trying to fucking tell you this. Right. Yeah. And that it's so important that right now that needs to be expressed and that there is no debate and combativeness and there is no jump in and say, okay, but now we're in a good place. It's like, shut up and let the trauma come, let the expression come and kind of keep your head down. You're not obligated to feel punishment from anybody as like a white person and ally moving towards like being an accomplice, you're not obligated to sit and be, you know, accused or attacked, but you also need to, I think we all need to let the expression of trauma and pain come out. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, what's, I think it's an MLK quote, like it's always the right time to do the right thing. And it's like, yeah, what the fuck are you waiting for? It's not going to ever feel convenient to do this. Yeah, dude. I mean, I hate to like hate on my Jewish culture right now. And like, we, we've been doing the show, Sarah Natal and I, shitty Jews. And the thing that like we really share is we complain about everything. <laughs> and, and by we, I mean, I'll say Sarah and I, I'll speak for Sarah and I, like the Jews in my family. And we never forget. We never fucking forget. And usually it's like the, the diner we went to had bad chicken salad. And we're going to fucking bring that up every time we drive by that diner. But like our ancestral trauma has locked in and it's our fucking trigger response. We don't want to be too cold. It's too loud in here. It's too hot in here. I need to make sure that this I'm comfortable here. Like we're always fucking trying to goddamn be comfortable all the time. And it's like part of what, I think that this does for me right now is understand that the privilege I've had of being fucking heard every time I'm fucking uncomfortable, a whiny, bitchy voice, uh, this isn't done right, excuse me, and, and fucking getting the free whatever or getting the response or getting the personal customer, whatever the fuck it is, and that the power of the Jewish nudge needs to fucking shift behind the the black people right now. Like time to put your kvetch into a fucking sack and get into their line. And I think that's like, I mean, yeah, even my my dad is like, 
in it now. He still has that fucking mentality. He sent me a text yesterday, just so you know, like everyone's feelings should be considered here. And he sent me like a, an article about a Jewish person mm. saying that, hey, you know, synagogues were destroyed and we need to say a thing. We need to speak up about Jewish lives. And, and I'm like, yeah, yeah. No one's fucking taking your oppression away from you. You're but right. like, read the fucking room. Read the room, not your moment. Like, take your kvetch and and line it up. That's my uh, yeah. It's it's this this knee jerk like it, it's just, people just add all these different things to, like to either before or after the phrase Black Lives Matter or whatever yeah. it is, and it's like literally no one said that. Like it's not yeah. No, no one's think- trying to take anything. Do you think that there's a, a part of us, like when you're talking about like individualism in this country, like, do you think there's a part of us that it needs to be taught how to sit with an idea that someone else is before we jump in and say, well, what about and just like do some like basic, let that person's idea or statement like engage with that one instead of being redirecting or distracting. Yeah, I, that that's a good point. And it's, you know, speaking of discomfort, as soon as you said that, I'm thinking like, okay, how many people did I attack on Twitter this week? Because, you know, of yeah. their like first response to something. And it's like, yeah, I mean, some people are shitty and it's, I, you know, maybe not the well, wrong thing for me to say like, fuck you, but yeah, whatever. It's, it's like, John, what's, what's, yeah. What's going to like move us forward better. John Oliver had a thing a couple years ago after Trump got elected about like the kind of strategy of argument that you hear a lot in the pundits and stuff. And it's, it's like, it's, it's kind of ridiculous. Well, if this is true, then all this other stuff needs to be true, right? Mm. Well, if you think this, where were you when other people were doing a thing? It's like, mm. we also have that as our defense strategy, which we need to fucking drop. Lisa had this great line when, cause I was like sharing, she doesn't do social media, which makes me fucking love her even harder. She's just <laughs> badass. She's better than all that. of us. Yeah. yeah. She's literally on the, on a, in a different plane, but like when the comment section starts going wonky and I was sharing it with her, I was like, this person said this, this, per-, and then this person came in and said that. And, and she was like, this is what she said. She was like, well, what about soup? And I was, and she's like, you might as well just say that you might as well just be like, well, what about soup? Yeah. Because, it's just as productive. <laughs> yeah. We're just like so far out from a thing. And if we're going to go that far, let's just, talk about fucking chicken noodle soup, you know, or ask people, what do they think about that? And I feel like that sums up that argument strategy, which just deflects and detracts from the first thing that we said, which is uncomfortable for us. So instead we have to be like, uh, uh, what about soup? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's good. Yeah. I, it, um, my, uh, previous guest was uh, my friend Yoel, who's a labor organizer, and he was t- he he's from Chile, and he was talking about the uh, ongoing sort of revolution there, and uh, you know they're they're like apparently getting a new constitution this year, like you know this started a couple decades ago, and it's it's uh, really starting to get somewhere. Um, 
And he was talking about how you just, you're not going to get anywhere with any of this if you don't have a majority. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I wouldn't have made this argument first, but like coming from him, it was really a stark thing to hear when he said like, look, like white people are sick, what, 60, 70% of the U.S. population. Like yeah. it's very satisfying to drop fucking memes and shit when people make dumb comments. Um, but it almost never changes anyone's mind. It's, you know, it's hard to change someone's mind on Facebook too, but like you have a better chance of like dropping a nugget that, you know, could like some, something else could reignite it down the road and, and they might start to get it. Um, if you just approach it and say like, okay, I get where you're coming from. I don't agree. But like, if, if, you know, if I grant this for the sake of argument, what about that? You know, like there's a way to sort of um, try to get the people who are, are gettable. Yeah. That, I mean, that's a good point too, for sure. I think that the, the, um, the kind of, uh, again, because we're all stuck in our house already, we're all in here baking fucking bread and we're (laughs) learning about like, you know, shoebox gardening or whatever like we also in this moment there's a couple more people paying attention in a different way so i think the gettable is a little bit bigger um so i I appreciate that and i think that makes sense what you say my we had a roommate here who she just got back to argentina a week ago but she was here for she was supposed to be here for like nine weeks and she was here for like almost four months because of quarantine She's a um, medical anthropology PhD candidate. She was doing some work at Penn. She's, yeah, she's from Buenos Aires. And she was here and before, she left literally. <laughs> and then two days later, Lisa and I were in that protest. But while she was here, for the time that she was here, she managed to get to a protest in New York City. She was visiting and she went up there and it was important. It was about femicide and there's abortions illegal in Argentina and she like her world and then last night we had a call with her and she was sharing the first time she got tear gas when she was 18 i mean like her world is about revolt her the energy that she like yeah she loves memes too but like Mm. her experience of how things change and how she expresses has she was raised to in her you know in the space where she lives to go out on the street and like that is just a thing. Yeah, it's it's a continuous process. It just it's not something that you're finished with at some point. Yeah. And she said when she was here cuz you know in her country she's considered white and maybe she would be considered white here but she said she was shocked at the what felt like a really big giant in your face about race that that was so prevalent in the United States, the places that she's visited, that it was so big and clear that race was in your face in this way that she didn't experience at home. I thought that was interesting. Oh yeah. That, yeah, that's interesting. So like, is she saying like coming from uh, white people or coming from black or just all around. It's just all around, all around. And also that there's this really fierce competition between people too, that it didn't feel like community 
activated people, neighbors taking care of each other. But it felt she was again at Penn. I mean, that's where she was doing her work, but but that it, it felt like a really clear racial experience. Um, and that's because, I mean, I'm sure a bunch of things, but you know, we're living in West Philly. We're in a, a neighborhood that is much less gentrified than a lot of the places, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, Philly's all, but America's also really fucking diverse. There's a lot of different kinds of people. Yeah, it, it you is. You lived in West Philly. You were on 48th. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it, I mean, you can, I don't know anywhere else in the fucking city that you could go 10 blocks and have rich cultural experiences of Indian, Pakistan, Ethiopian, you know, mosques and spaces to eat. And, you know, it's pretty phenomenal out here. It is. Yeah. Uh, and I think, you know, maybe. And we all get our period together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. The whole city. Uh, yeah. Spontaneously. <laughs> From the tear gas. Yeah. Is now. <laughs> We're composting our menstruation. Together awesome. In a sharing garden. <laughs> um, yeah. And I don't know. I'm trying to think of like how it felt. It felt like Philly's a pretty mixed city, not only with like the population numbers, but like with people interacting with, you know, with like uh, people of other communities. And I mm -hmm. think that's true of New York, especially. Um, but like, it's weird because Philly a lot of poor dude, Philly is, poor. it is. Yeah, it is. It is. And uh, I think that, a lot of this country is still kind of de facto segregated. Mm -hmm. So, uh, you know, and yeah, uh, economics, absolutely. Like there's no way around that factoring in. Um, yeah. You know, it's, it's funny. I like this. I go ahead. Oh yeah. So I, I grew up in Connecticut and, uh, I, my town was, you know, 99% white. It was, it was, you know, what you, what you expect of Connecticut, but down the road a little bit there, you know, there's Bridgeport, there's like New Haven and Hartford. Mm -hmm. Like there are places where black people live in Connecticut, mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. big communities of them, but mm -hmm. that like they're completely separate. And it's, sure. and it's like that that's, you know, uh, I say de facto, but you know, we're still, we're dealing with the, repercussions of stuff like redlining um that just like decimated like generations of people yeah i think the repercussions we're dealing with is i mean it's that but it's it's that because it's slavery it's that because i was just watching this thing this morning this uh author i'll send it to you it's like six minutes and it's so fucking perfect it's like you know, we've been playing Monopoly with white people for 400 fucking years, but we weren't allowed to keep anything or have anything. In fact, we played in everything that we had, we had to give to you for 400 years. She's like, and then for 50 years, we were able to play Monopoly and we collected a couple things and then you took it from us or set it on fire. Yeah. And now we're starting to play Monopoly again and you're telling us to let's go already, pull yourself up. She's like, so do you think I give a shit about the when you say like oh the looting and the rioting is destroying our our communities she's like it's not our community this right. isn't our fucking community <laughs> and i'm like oh 
Right. Like the economy of the United States is built on the backs of slaves. So yeah. Don't uh, you think we fucking need to get that straightened out? Right. Cause it's right. That argument comes in two forms. It's why are black people destroying their own communities or like, why are they destroying our communities? We didn't do any. And it's like either, either way, again, like socioeconomics play a big role in this. It's not our fucking community either. It's yeah. the banks and target and like the, all of this shit, even like the, you know, indie wine shops that fucking open up in Fishtown and stuff. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's not a community thing. That's like a yeah. very specialized thing that certain people get to, to uh, benefit from. Yeah. And it's uh, yeah. Well, so, and speaking of Philly, um, I'm going to take a bite of my sandwich. Just edit this it. out afterwards. Okay. okay. <laughs> from the audio. <laughs> Oh damn, that's a that's a good crunch. <laughs> Got some romaine lettuce in nice. this cheese sandwich. Um yeah. the uh what it was West Philly, right? The nineteen eighty five uh police bombing, right? Sixty first in Osage, just four five blocks away from us. We're in yeah. Cobbs Creek. Um yeah, and that you know, that was a situation where uh, you know, I, I don't know enough about it, but it was a, a community of people that were trying to provide for themselves and each other and protect themselves and each other. Uh, and and that's, they that's came a, and dropped a fucking bomb on the house. Mm. That's the tactic. That was their escalation. That was what happened. And then the people inside were put in fucking prison, the ones that didn't die. But we had a black mayor at that time too. Did you see that? He just recently um, said we owe it. We need to figure out another way to apologize here. I gotta get I the information that. on that. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's uh, again, it, it's it's that thing where should should uh, black people and other communities get to be in these positions more like mayor, like president, like, yeah, sure. Absolutely. But if it's just the same old system and this person has no choice, but to, you know, keep the gears turning of that same system that yeah. doesn't really change. Much. I mean, so I don't think we're all going to agree on the same tactic, right? I don't think we can get everyone to immediately stop shopping at Target, right? Or get every cop to quit their job. That I also think, and I understand that the benefits of being a police officer and some of these people that are black people in, in police and, um, uh, and other people that are like, I can't, I'm also poor and this is my job and I don't, I, this is a pension and this is insurance and my kids are sick and I, like, so there's a lot of ways in which we want everyone to kind of rebel and jump off the fucking bridge of the system. But then we need people inside the system to also be the ones like leading the charge and leading the change. So it's, a, it's, I'm trying hard to figure out what to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, like, it's, it's do not, I, do I go to my company and, and the places that I work and I, like, I'm a freelance person, so I don't have a, but are like where I need work 
when someone hires me and I'm like, okay, like you have 17 people in your company that make over a hundred thousand dollars a year. And none of them are, they're all white and you serve 40,000 or a hundred thousand individuals. And most of them are black and the lowest uh, denominator, the low ent entry level folks at your company make $13 an hour and they're in a union and that's their amount of money that they make. And um, they're all black people. I don't know, do I want to do work for you or do I want to jump in here, get involved and bring some fucking, like part of me wants to set it on fire. Right. You know? <laughs> and then the other part is like, wait, I'm good at convincing people of things. Maybe I get in there and say, hey, and speak their language, right? Hey, uh, you better get the fuck in front of this right now if you want to be a business that continues to make millions of dollars. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I, th I think it's something where you, it, it's, it's a delicate uh, balance. And <laughs> it's all right. I didn't hear it. Um, yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balance and you, you tread somewhat lightly when you approach those things. Um, yeah, I, I get the impulse to march it down. And uh, that was, you know, when I was younger and more impulsive, um, I probably wouldn't be doing the sort of uh, organizing stuff I'm doing with my coworkers. I probably one day would have been like, you know what? Fuck you and yeah. walked out because I did that a bunch of times. Yeah, and it's I mean, it's like yeah, awesome. you, you want you want to be able to like, uh, yeah, you don't want to have an outburst and lose your job because yeah, you're then you lose your power. Yeah, you're no good to anybody if like you're not taken care of. Um, yeah, but yeah. also, but yeah, you, I, I think that we are in a position where it's, uh, it's upon us to bring that stuff to the places yeah. where we work and, and live. I want to, um, I want to just pause for a second. Can you, can you move away from the mic and come into the screen so you can see how much we look alike? <laughs> We're seriously the same person. Lisa, come look at this. Hold on. This is Lisa's going to come in the screen. Are you kidding me right now? <laughs> That's great. Anyway. Um, uh, yeah. So I, yeah, I get it. You don't want to burn it down. I, my therapist is, um, one of my therapists in helping me like kind of figure out my fight response and like calm down my PTSD and help me like figure out life as a activated, but like, com you know, person that's not going to kill themselves or someone else with trauma and anger and rage. And one of the things that she said is that growing older is a really great way to calm down. And that also means that as we rely on the youth, the irrational, intensively impulsive youth to run into the fucking next part of the undiscoverable land and find the water because they're kind of dumb and brave and crazy. <laughs> yeah. And that they kind of, we need the young people to go be fucking idiots and find where the new water is. And that's kind of how it works. And then as you get older, you kind of, you find your space on the road that maybe isn't, you don't have to forge it yourself, but it's just a little dusty. It's still, we still need the path drawn for us a bit by dumb, dumb youth. Yeah. Yeah. Them. And that's something so thank that... you for being a dumb idiot when you were younger, <laughs> your older self. Uh, yeah. I, I don't know how much good it did when I, uh, 
like had a falling out with the sandwich shop I worked for, but it's, <laughs> <laughs> what what was the sandwich? What was the falling out? Was oh, it, just- it was um yeah, I'll fucking name it. Is uh, I don't think they're open anymore. Is Govinda's the uh, vegan place? Oh yeah, no, they're not. They recently closed down. Actually, yeah, um, yeah. I worked there. I think the like the first year I lived in Philly, um, and uh, yeah, it it was it was like I don't know. I made like eight dollars an hour, and I was Ugh. like really annoyed because uh, I was just in a position where I was um, cleaning up after people a lot, yeah. just l- little shit like. Uh, stocking the drink cooler after your shift. Like there's shit that people just weren't doing Yeah, that I was just left to do. Um, and uh, there was one day my boss asked me to stay late because the next person was going to be late. And oh, I, was, yeah. I was just like, no. Yeah, fuck <laughs> and he you. Was, and out. he was like, uh, uh, that's, it's your job. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> And he was, that just like set him off when I was like, that's not my job. (laughs) So, (laughs) Yeah, dude, Rebel Rouser, do it. I love it. That's great. That's awesome. So Um, you're in Boston, yeah? Yeah, we're in Boston. That's cool. I lived in Boston for a little while. Oh, really? What part? Well, I went to school up there. Okay. And then my wife did too. What's that? My wife did too. Where'd she go? Northeastern. Yeah, my sister went to Northeastern. I went to Brandeis. Cool. Yeah, and then I lived in Brookline. I I didn't finish Brandeis, just to say. I got asked to leave, a.k.a. (laughs) got kicked the fuck out. Um, Drug problem. They're Uh, they're a big fan of Jews, but Jews with drug problems, they're (laughs) like, nah, you can't. Um, But then I lived in Brookline and worked at the Guitar Center on Com Ave right there on BU campus. Yeah, for like over a year. Um, That was where I, I, I... my one claim to fame where I sold an amplifier to Conan O'Brien. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. He's from Brookline. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's from there. Anyway. Um, so you guys are up there because she's, why'd you guys move back up there? Um, well, it was, yeah, it was largely for her to finish school. Um, yeah. Yeah. She, she was a political science major and she kind of like left a couple of times to work on campaigns and stuff. So mm. took a few extra years, but, uh, yeah, last year she finished up and um, she loves it here and I have loved it so far. So <laughs> I'm, right on, I'm happy yeah. to be here. I, yeah. I really like Boston. Yeah. Lots of energy. They're protesting and stuff up there. They are. It's been weirdly light. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know why. I feel like uh, maybe it'd be no, different. No one's if... throwing Sam Adams into the river. No one's getting. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I feel like it's it's uh maybe it'd be different if the pandemic wasn't happening, but like I feel like more people will spill into like New York, DC, Philly from the surrounding area, whereas Boston's like kind of out of the way. <laughs> it's it's like a little yeah. isolated. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So um but yeah, I think more in like the surrounding towns, Boston's a pretty small city itself. So Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's cool though, dude. Um, well, I mean, I don't know what the point of the podcast is other than just to know that like the, everyone's kind of getting activated in their own way. And, you know, my not realizing what my privilege was opting out of the conversations that are uncomfortable. And that means I have to opt in. Yeah. And, um, oh my God, I'm reading a great book. Also, 
I feel like that fucking person that's like a new non-smoker <laughs> that's like, oh my God, you have to try these lollipops. Yeah. They totally remove the urge to be an asshole. Um, yeah, I'm reading How to Be an Anti-Racist. You okay. read that? I haven't. It's really, really, really good. I'm only, I'm about halfway through now, but um, it's so, uh, like, it's the thing I love about these, this kind of stuff, which is really understanding the history before you get into the fight. And right. he lays it fucking down, dude. He's like, and, and by the halfway, I'm like, oh yeah, there's only two actions. Either it's a racist or it's anti-racist. Let's <laughs> not be afraid of being racist and let's call it. When we see it, but these yeah. are two options. Yeah, who's who's the author? It's it's um, uh, Kendi. His last name is Kendi Ib- Ibram X Kendi. In fact, Oprah, Ms. Oprah Winfrey, <laughs> is having a like uh, panel something, um, and there's like nine different speakers that she's pulling together, and one of them is him. It's, I think it's happening today, actually. Oprah's Soul Sunday. Um, yeah. Anyway, okay. he's he also just um, started the Anti-Racist Research Institute in Boston. I think he's up there. Oh, wow. Okay. I think it's in Boston. That'd be good to Let me double into. check. Yeah, check it out. Check it out if you want, if it's on your reading list. Yeah, um, I, have, I have like a huge stack of books that I'm like <laughs> a yeah. part of the way through three of right now. Yeah. Um, like podcast research for this. But yeah, so yeah, and to your point, um, the idea with this podcast is to give listeners a way in to activism. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, you've definitely done that today in like Good. a bit of a different way. So it's less about like, you know, I work for this organization. You can give us money or go to our events and more of like the emotional, like how you, you know, become invested in this. Um, Yeah. So I think if we all really had full empathy all the time, if we were biologically created to feel empathy all the time, we wouldn't be able to go to sleep. We there's no (laughs) way humans would be able to sleep walking past the people in the street that are dying, that are sick. We walk by homeless people or people experiencing homelessness. So it's kind of like that right now. I think our empathy is dialed up. I think that that's really, it, it makes you sleep poorly when your empathy is this way up. Hmm. So if we care and we want to be people who care, then we got to get okay with being tired. And I think, you know, taking care of ourselves also. But I think this is an empathy wake up call as well. Yeah. Um, so my wife handed me a note. <laughs> she said, uh, so Is it like, do you want to go out with me? Check yes or no. Cause that would be so fucking sweet. <laughs> she just did that during the podcast. She, she, like, she would know. like just to mess with me too. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. So this woman, Gwen, who's a, uh, um, activist in philly gwen snyder uh she's gwen snyder phl on twitter Mm -hmm. um she said make sure that beth joins the class action lawsuit for the people who are at that protest apparently there there is one active yeah 
Yeah, Lisa, that's funny because I swear on my life, one of the texts that Lisa just sent me during our podcast was, I'm even going to show it to you. <laughs> Can you see that? Also, I think we should, oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> we have good, good women in our lives. We're the same person, I think. It's <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Joe, I, thank you so much for inviting me to do this. It was really good to chat with you. And yeah to feel um, like you're doing like what you can do to shake things up. It inspires me to figure out, yeah, what more I can do too. So. Yeah, absolutely. It's, yeah. it's, uh, it's good to have a podcast again because it's an excuse to talk to people. <laughs> yeah, man, for sure. Oh, show up. Um, yeah. Thank you so much. Um, that's yeah, I don't have anything to plug other is. than educate yourself, activate, mobilize, organize, that shit awesome yeah all right well keep in touch yeah am i is it now now i just end the zoom meeting yeah that's that's how it works now yeah all right cool well it was really good to see you my best your your spouse and um we'll stay in touch awesome all right dude i'll talk to you later all right That was my talk with Betty Smithsonian. You can find her at bettysmithsonian.com, spelled how you think. And you can follow me on Twitter at Joe underscore Messina, Instagram at Joe underscore Messina one, and facebook.com slash radicalize me. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe. And as always, you can send us a voice message or donate to the show at anchor.fm slash radicalize me. That's it. Be safe out there, and I'll talk to you next time.